And welcome back to another edition of Sanctified Reason. Sanctified Reason is a podcast where Dan Delzell and myself, Sonny, and we take a look at the issues, the topics, the things that go on in this world, and we look at them through a biblical perspective. And sometimes it could be something more of a biblical theology topic, or sometimes it could just be a, a news topic. It depends on kind of the news of the day, so to speak. And and Dan, one thing I thought we would talk about today is kind of the the customs and the traditions of the church in general. And uh, for example, it's summertime. A lot of people are traveling. A lot of people are dealing with intense heat and maybe some other weather-related conditions. You know, uh, People across the country live in different communities, some in the big city, some in smaller towns, some in you know uh, rural areas where there's farming communities. And I've been blessed to kind of have experienced all of that from the big city to the small farming communities. But uh, the conversation I'm thinking about today on the traditions and the customs of the church then and now, you know, in history and now, stems from a conversation I had with someone about they were wanting someone, they had gone to a weekend getaway at someone's house, spend the weekend at a friend's house, and the friend suggested that they wanted to go to church. And she was like, I can't go to church because I don't have my church clothes. I don't have my Sunday best. I didn't think we were going to go, so I just brought, you know, weekend travel clothes, you know, laying by the pool clothes, going out, you know, shopping or whatever clothes. And so she had a hard time trying to reconcile herself to going to church without her Sunday best as she was taught growing up. And so I thought that conversation was kind of interesting because in today's day and age, there's a lot of uniqueness that goes on in the church. For example... People think that you have to go to a church building, that the church is a building. And if you don't have the steeple, if you don't have the pews, if you don't have the altar, then it's not a church building. Others go so far, I've been to churches where you actually bow before the altar as respect to God, not respect to the altar and the physical materials, but just as respect to God. So every time people would walk by the church, you know, they would bow to the front of the church, uh, the altar area. And then, you know, there's other churches that have gone and, People were wear their Sunday best, and it's extravagant. You know, you think of some of the churches down south with the big bonnets, the Sunday bonnets and clothes. And then other places, people just show up, and they're in whatever, you know. I remember the first time I had an experience with non-kind of church clothes going Sundays was I went to a farming community. I lived in a farming community in Iowa, and the farmers would come off their tractors for Sunday morning in their, you know, John Deere hat, their overalls. They'd come to church, and then they'd go back to the farm. And the chores and, you know, especially during planting season back on the tractors. And so for them, it wasn't time to go and get their Sunday best and then come back and and uh, go to church and then go back and change. You know, they just came to church. So I thought that might be something we can we can kind of touch on is the tr- traditions, the customs. Where do they fit today? Are they good? And if someone is has grown up in the past where they have this kind of staunch traditionalism in going to church and some of these extra things that go on, um, you know, just kind of how that fits in with today's churchgoer. Yeah, you know, that's a really interesting topic, Sam, because as you say, there are so many different customs and traditions that people have, just like with the uh, the young woman you mentioned there in San Francisco and her sense of kind of what would constitute church clothes, you know. Um, I mean, I, on one hand, I think um, there certainly is nothing wrong with um, you know, a, a person wanting to have, let's say, uh, 
their Sunday best on. I mean, there are there are some you know wonderful churches that that proclaim the gospel clearly and the word of God clearly, and and, and you have people dressed a little more formally, and and you know you probably have more suits and more dresses and that sort of a thing. Um, but then you've also got other churches where they don't have the gospel and 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 and, and they're dressed very formally. So I mean, it, it really it just really depends on the church itself. Um, there, there's no right or wrong unless a church is really making it about that. Now, you know, we, we live in a day where a lot of churches have gone to, uh, you know, casual dress and, 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 and tried to, you know, not have the focus be on having to get all dressed up. And so, you know, at the end of the day, I mean, it really does come back to, you know, what is the message that is being presented? Um, and, you know, a person could, could be showing reverence to God, uh, dressed casually. A person could be showing reverence to God, you know, in a suit or a dress, but it really comes back to what's in the heart. And is it, is it about the clothing or is it about what's going on on the inside? Because at the end of the day, if, if it becomes more about what you're wearing or hopefully it's not about, you know, other people seeing you look a certain way, um, then, you know, we're really missing, what the whole point of it is, uh, you know, I think about Acts 2.42, it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And and so those key elements uh, for 2,000 years have been what Christians have done when they've gathered uh, many times, of course, on Sunday morning, although there are other days of the week as well when, when, when Christians get together for, for worship. Uh, but it, it really gets back to you know, being focused on the word, on prayer, on the gospel, and and the clothing is secondary, but I can certainly understand where that young w- woman in California is coming from, because, um, you know, there are a lot of people who, who have that idea, you have to dress a certain way. I think what's really unfortunate is if maybe you had somebody who stayed away from a church, because maybe they didn't have clothes that they felt were nice enough uh, to wear, and that's really unfortunate, because, of course, the Lord's not looking at what we're wearing outwardly, uh, he's looking at what's in our heart. So, um, yeah, it really is a mixed bag, isn't it, in terms of what you find out there with not only the clothing, but just so many church traditions. Yeah, I mean, take a look at some of the things uh, as I was growing up. The church obviously has changed. There was a time where everybody was in a suit and tie. I mean, I was like in elementary school and I'd be in a suit and tie going to church. And my grandparents, when they were with us, you know, my grandfather being a suit and tie, my grandmother being her Sunday best, and it kind of trickled down from there. So I think that in our family, it uh, it derived from tradition and from respect and from godly principles that were instilled in my grandparents. Plus, it was also the time, you know, the dressing up nice was for the time. And so you had culture also involved. Now today, our culture is so relaxed. It's uh, gotten to the point where maybe sometimes it's too relaxed in a lot of things because we allow other things to seep in into our lives, into the church. But I've been to churches where I think it's gotten too formal, where people are showing up in flip-flops and board shorts as if they're going to go hit the beach right afterwards, uh, which is their choice. You know, like I said, it doesn't matter to me, but I just thought it was a little too loose, too casual. And then there have been other churches where I've gone to and it's almost like they're dressed up ready to go to the nightclub. And it's like, okay, wait a minute, that's a little too extreme because, you know, maybe we're a little too risque here. And so, you know, the pastor had to actually make some comments about attire and proper church attire. So there is a balance, I think, that we can, can go to um, and, and we can kind of look at when it comes to dress 
as far as, uh, I don't want to say compromise, but you know, you don't want to go too lax and be too like, Hey, I just rolled out of bed. Although it is better to be there just rolling out of bed than not being there. But you know, I think there's a, I think there's a balance that we can find that if you really want to be casual and comfortable, that's fine. You can do it. And if you really want to dress up, that's fine. You can do it. But I think there's kind of a balance when you're going into it because you also have to think of other people. Uh, other people there that you don't want to, you know, lead to temptation, especially if you're, you know, dressed like a nightclub. That was part of the problem at one church I was at. And then the other thing is too casual, where you take away the significance and the meaning, at least in my book, of what Jesus did on the cross and what the Bible represents and what you know God actually represents. And so I think for me, I like to try to have a, a good balance to it, like at least wear something that's comfortable, maybe wear something that's dependent upon the weather, especially if it's like, you know, 115 heat index, you know, and then maybe the, the building might not have air conditioning, so you're kind of dressed accordingly. Um, but I think that ultimately, like you said, it comes down to the mindset. It comes down to where heart is. If we are there to worship God and our heart is right and our mind is right, then it doesn't really matter as long as, you know, we're dealing with appropriateness. Yeah, you know, Son, the other thought I have with it is that um, we live in a day, of course, where such skimpy clothing is worn in public uh, in so many places, and especially in the summertime. Um, but, you know, it is important, of course, for for Christians and, and you know, Christian women and everyone, but to be modest uh, in, in what we wear, because, you know, you, you don't want to be wearing something, whether you're a guy or a girl, that's drawing attention to yourself. I mean, you know, so if a guy came in with a bunch of gold chains and fl- fancy clothes or something that was really drawing attention to him, that could even easily be a, a bit of a distraction from the worship service. And if a, if a woman, you know, were to come into church and then wearing something that's, you know, really kind of provocative and, and not modest at all, um, then, you know, you have to say that that's not going to uh, enhance anyone's worship service. It's going to maybe draw some eyes in her direction and just distract people in, in a way that won't help the, the, the worship experience. So, um, you know, male and female alike, I mean, you know, wearing something that won't become, uh, you know, the, the, the topic of the day, uh, because we're there for the word, we're there for the Lord. Um, and, and, you know, I know, you know, there are some, you know, legalistic, uh, you know, denominations or even cults that over the years, you know, it's like, you know, they, they, they've required, uh, you know, women, uh, you know, you have to wear a dress or, or this or that. I mean, I think, you know, you don't, you don't want to get, you know, legalistic with it. Um, at the same time, you want to promote, you know, modesty and that has to start in the home. Um, that, that has to be taught, of course, uh, by parents to, 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 uh, you know, their, their, their children and so forth. But, uh, um, I think that fits in with what you were talking about where, you know, things can get so loose. I mean, you know, flip-flops are one thing. I don't think anybody would, uh, you know, probably be too, uh, too bothered by that in a lot of churches today. But, but on the other hand, if a person was wearing something that wasn't really covering them, their, their body very well, uh, then that, that's a different issue. So, um, so it is something, of course, uh, to keep in mind. And, and there might be situations where, um, you know, it needs to be addressed in a church. If somebody isn't dressing appropriately, then certainly um, that, that would need to be mentioned to them because um, they should want to know if they're, if they're becoming a distraction, you know, to people who are there to worship. You know, Dan, I had a conversation one time with somebody, and it kind of got interesting, and they were more on the side of, well, they shouldn't just show up to church. 
And then I was kind of on the side of, well, they should just show up and then we can deal with whatever it is, you know, when they show up. And, and that, that's the point of like, okay, when you've got somebody who is maybe um, involved in like, okay, out in Los Angeles, there's a, a big adult entertainment uh, you know, business, at least there was, you know, I don't know, maybe they've moved now, but, um, but the idea was to reach out to people. There was a group of people that wanted to reach out to the women in this industry. And part of the problem was that obviously the women, they have no concept or clue of what church is because they've never been in some of them. So they would show up dressed as if they were maybe going to, to work at the club or whatever. And it was an, it was an interesting conversation because it was based on kind of what we're talking about here, but we're not dealing with church people. We were dealing with people that really had nothing else and no knowledge. And so when they would first show up, people were taken aback that first of all, these people that worked in the adult business were at the church which to me was that's where they should be. And then the second was how they were dressed. But the women that were working with them were trying to, you know, get them to the point to, to realize that there's a proper place and a proper time and a proper dress. And so if people are coming in off the street, or let's take it out of that, there was a time where we had a church where there was like two homeless people. They would come in, they'd sit in the back of the church, and I think they just used it to, you know, fall asleep during the, the service, but they were in the back of the church. And when it was asked and brought up, my contribution to the conversation was, you know, I don't, as long as they're not being disruptive, I don't mind them being there. I think it's okay. I think as long as it's a safe thing, you know, we don't know what their intentions are, but if they're just back there sitting, it's probably okay. Um, we'd have to do more research to find out exactly why they're there, but you know, it's okay because if they're hearing the word of God, that's really ultimately what matters. There was another time where a pastor, um, was preaching and, we were at this church and a group of, I guess, um, some people that were, were physically handicapped, mentally handicapped, came to the church. And one of them had Tourette's and kept spouting out things, inappropriate things because of Tourette's. And the pastor was at the pulpit and said, get those people out of here. They're disrupting the service. And so I thought that was kind of an interesting thing because first off, there is that idea of, you know, you should know, you know, if you're coming to church and there's someone with Tourette's and shouting inappropriate things, you know, how do you deal with that? But then also the pastor then in his response, I thought was, you know, completely wrong, probably should have handled it a little bit differently. Um, but so when things like that come up, when, when, when we sit at the church and we're in a service and we look at the people, we're like, okay, these are the people that should be here. This is our country club. And when people from outside of that come in, it makes us uncomfortable and we start to then, hey, we don't want them here, so how can we get rid of them? And I think that's another dangerous thing that we have to do that we have to kind of be careful with is, you know, Jesus brings people, God brings people to the church, and there could be a reason for that, and we just have to somehow, you know, embrace and make sure that while they're there, they're hearing the message and they're being, you know, witnessed to and maybe being, you know, treated properly. And then it's the balance of, okay, how then do we balance that aspect, the ministry aspect of these type of people coming to church versus the church body then being in a safe environment or whatever else that comes along with it. Does that make sense? Oh, it makes a lot of sense, Don. And, and you're exactly right. And, and you know, on, on those points, I mean, you know, one of the things you, you referred to is just this idea that some folks have 
you know, it's like their church is like their country club. And so um, it, it's tragic that you have, um, you know, some folks in some Christian churches who would view, um, you know, guests who were there that day as outsiders. I, I mean, see, it, that's just a foreign concept to me. And, and yet I've seen it and I've had to realize that it exists. I mean, I, I would never have thought that, that, that folks in a, in a Christian church would, would ever have that mindset. But I, but I, I've, I've seen that over the years. Years um, on on a few occasions um, with a few folks, and it, it's really unfortunate, um, and and it really grieves the Holy Spirit. Um, you know, uh, you, you know, you 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 mentioned um, you know the the time with the, the pastor um, addressing something, you know, with with the noise going on, you know, in the case of someone who had who had that that problem that they couldn't control. I, I'm reminded I was listening to a message not too long ago, and. Um, it's a church where they uh, they do some clapping at times. Sometimes the pastor will, you know, say, "Well, let, let's give the Lord a, a hand for that," or something like this. Well, uh, I was listening to his message, and there was a little bit of clapping going on, but there seemed to be one person then who would just launch right out and kind of be clapping at some different points. And and uh, the pastor just said, "Hey, would you, please please stop that? You're just distracting the others." And and you know, um, he had very tactfully but very directly because you know if, if he had not said that it would have continued to distract him and others there um now you know i, I suppose a person could could make the argument that you know a, a minister asking people to, to clap for the lord during a, a message maybe that's wise to do maybe it, it's not um but um you know this is a this is a minister who who faithfully preaches the word of god and 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 they have a very spirit-filled um you know congregation so i mean i, I you know he handles it beautifully and the clapping does not seem out of place when he does it my only point Point is, then you know if people get the idea that that they can just clap whenever they want. I mean, um, and you're the only one clapping, then that, that and you're doing it a lot. Uh, obviously, that is going to be distracting. It's kind of like the churches where you know people know that they're free to kind of roam in the aisle uh, or come up to the front because it's so free flowing and everything. And if you get moved to do that, you know. But um, some churches that that, that that seems to work because it, it's so um, just um, un, un, uh, unscripted that way and, and people just seem to expect that. I think in other churches it, it does become, uh, you know, a definitely a huge distraction. And, um, you know, frankly, I'm not really sure how, especially during a message, how that could ever work. I, I remember something that Chuck Smith with Calvary Chapel in California, I remember him talking one time, and, and you know, they uh, they came out of the Jesus movement, of course, and many souls uh, were saved there through and, and continue to be with Calvary Chapel, um, you know. Uh, but but I, I, he was talking, and, you know, Chuck Smith would preach through the Bible, uh, you know, book by book, and I think maybe he went through the Bible at least seven or eight times over his, uh, you know, ministry there at uh, Calvary Chapel chapel in Costa Mesa. And anyway, um, they came out of the Jesus movement. And what was interesting is, is back in, oh, about the seventies, um, there was, there was a group that split off one way 
uh, known as the Vineyard, uh, John Wimber, and power evangelism and seeking, you know, miraculous signs and wonders and power demonstrations, kind of like what the apostles were doing in the New Testament. Um, not kind of like, that's what they were seeking. Uh, although um, I don't know that they perhaps saw too many of those uh, types of powerful manifestations. Um, and then you had Calvary Chapel. And Chuck Smith went the route of just teaching the Bible and, and not wanting to get people worked up into a frenzy uh, on a Sunday morning and, and, and kind of a hyper charismatic kind of an atmosphere where, you know, anything seems to go and anything that happens, well, that, it's got to be the Holy Spirit because it's, it's so weird. It's got to be him. Well, um, you know, you get counterfeit uh, things that go on in, in, in sometimes in those settings. I mean, I'm not saying, you know, John Wimber in the vineyard. I mean, there's been, you know, a lot of good fruit that's come from that, uh, from that vine. Um, but but there's also there have also been you know extremes uh, within that movement and the charismatic movement that have gone uh, off course into fanaticism uh, at times. Um, now now uh, Chuck Smith on the other hand just focused on teaching the word and 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 they became so focused on the word and this is kind of where I was you know heading to. Um, Chuck Smith made a comment that he attended a church. I suppose it was a Calvary Chapel church, and when he, one Sunday when he wasn't preaching in Costa Mesa, and he was sitting in the back. And and he said it was so irritating because somebody in front of him kept standing up and like raising their hands in the air and 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 doing all that. And he said it was so distracting for for him. And I found that very interesting because that was definitely the tone that Chuck Smith wanted to set in their church that we're going to honor the word of the Lord by by maintaining self control. I mean, you know, with our worship. Now they have you know home fellowship groups and maybe there are more uh, examples of. Um, you know, even the exercise of spiritual gifts and other things in those cell groups, those home groups. But when it came to the corporate gathering, kind of like what Paul instructed the Corinthians to do, you know, do everything in, a, in an orderly way. And, um, I, you know, so so I just found that interesting that uh, even even in terms of somebody standing up and raising their hands, uh, because that person was standing in front of Chuck, uh, he, where he was seated, it's like every time they did that, he would, he would get distracted. Um, uh, and, and so so I, I don't know that, I mean, I'm not saying like at Calvary chapels, and I, I know you've got people I'm sure who, you know, raise hands at times and this with worship, but, but they don't get so expressive or maybe excessive that it would distract others. Now, the flip side of that is you've got plenty of spiritual churches where, you know, almost everybody maybe has their hands in the air and they're worshiping the Lord in spirit and in truth and they're doing nothing wrong. You know, they're doing something very beautiful. So it, it, it's uh, not a bad thing, but it kind of depends on the context and the church because what might work well in one church would be so distracting to folks in another church who aren't used to that, um, that, um, you know, the Bible in Romans says, let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. So the goal needs to be, what can I do to not, uh, you know, not interfere with somebody else's worship? And I would say, you know, if a person is a Christian who's like, I want to be in one of these churches where I can stand up at any point and raise my hands. And well, there are churches where, where that is just the norm. And, and so I would say that's probably where that Christian is going to fit best. Um, you have another Christian who might say, you know, I just want to go and be fed the word. And, and I mean, I love worship. I love whether it be contemporary songs or hymns or whatever their you know preference might be. I love singing, but, but I really, really want to be fed the word. I really 
want to be able to concentrate on the word and 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 uh, and so on and so forth. So um, you you've got different you know different strokes for different folks there in terms of the style of worship. Uh, some more like I say charismatic. Uh, some more just like in the in the style of like a Calvary Chapel, which is just so grounded in the word. And and as you and I know, son, I mean there are so many churches today that that aren't preaching the word. Um, they've gotten away from the Bible. Or they're just preaching. Um, you know, they're just preaching self-help. Uh, they're, they're, you know, they're, they're just, you know, they're, they're not really giving people, you know, the gospel and, and the word of God. So, um, you know, they, uh, sometimes, you know, it's been referred to as, you know, the style and the substance and the style, of course, you know, being everything in how you're doing, you know, your, your songs and your service and everything. And then the substance being the, the message, um, you know, we, we, we need to have, uh, we, we need to have the substance there for sure. And then I would say that churches need to go with a style that's going to edify those in their congregation. And, and then just to bring this full circle with some of these examples we gave, if you've got someone in a worship service who is becoming a distraction, whether it be someone sitting in front of Chuck Smith, whether it be someone, you know, making noises they can't help but make, whether it be a crying baby that, you know, um, a parent does not you know, uh, take maybe to a different room after that baby's been crying a while. I mean, so there are all sorts of things that pop up that, that have to be dealt with, um, with discernment and wisdom and, and concern for those involved, but, but concern for everybody there, you know, concern for the whole group. Um, not, not, not just maybe the one person who wants to clap whenever they feel like it. Um, but, but, but if that's not going to edify the group, then concern for the group would do what that pastor did, which is just kind of gently call that person out even i mean what else can you do i mean you know he just has to say um hey would you please stop that but that also then sets the tone um which i think is is a wise leadership decision on his part it, it kind of it lets other people know that you know yes we clap here and there are times to clap but but if everybody just claps whenever they feel like it you know we're going to be clapping through, throughout the whole whole uh, whole message and i'm sure that pastor realizes that you know they're the people there they want to be expressive they want to clap so that's probably why he gives them that you know kind of that um opportunity to do that um but like i say if everybody does it whenever they feel like it then you have no order so somebody has to kind of bring some order to the thing. Um, obviously, we want to follow the lead of the Holy Spirit, but but we can't have you know forty seven people in a worship service all saying I feel I feel led to clap now. Now, obviously, in the New Testament church, you know you, you had the issue of speaking in tongues and, and 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 people you know standing up in a gathering and and speaking in in a tongue, and, and then the goal there would be if there was an interpreter, uh, you you were to do that. So that's another issue that that could be. Discussed, but that, you know, Paul instructed them, I mean, hey, keep doing that. Paul said, that's a great thing, but do it in an orderly way. And only if there's somebody there to interpret while you're together. Otherwise, you know, uh, don't do that. So like I say, that's a whole other spiritual topic, but it does relate to this whole issue of of just having uh, worship services that are orderly, that are, are uh, edifying, that are not distracting people as much as, you know, as much as possible. Yeah, the uh, crying baby or the young kids running up and down the aisle was always 
something of interest, depending on what church you went to. You know, if I went to a Baptist church, there was the children's church that you ran off to or the nursery. If you were at a Lutheran church, kids were running up and down the aisles, not, you know, not ram, yeah. you know, they were, that was just, there was right. more of a welcome thing. So yeah, it comes down to right. what's your preferences, what's your uh, tastes, I guess. And then of course, just consideration towards others. Um, you know, another thing that was kind of interesting um, in the conversation that I had, again, when we started this conversation, I was having a conversation with someone who was asking me some mm-hmm. questions about today's church. They went on a weekend yeah. getaway to some friend's house and the friend asked if they wanted to go to church. And she was like, no, I, I don't have my Sunday best, so it's hard for me to go to church without my Sunday best. I can't go to church because right. it was taught to me that you go to church being dressed properly, and I'm not dressed right. properly for church. So that's the basis of the conversation that we've uh, been started on. But then other things kind of came up. Okay, so for example, um, I guess in the Catholic Church, you know, you have to stay for communion. If you don't take communion, I guess... It's uh, not like you attend a church. It's like the sacrament, right? And, and it's like a, a, one of those things in the Catholic church that you have to do. Um, and so then the conversation of how often do you have communion came up. And so we we're talking about that. And I was like, well, you know, some churches have it every week. You know, others might have it twice a month. Some might have it once a month. Some might have it twice a year at Easter and Christmas. I guess it just depends on, you know, what the pastor is wanting and the purpose behind it. You know, I mean, why do you have it every every week versus twice a year? And so when we're talking about communion, it got to the point where it's like, okay, communion for me is something that, you know, is a reminder of what Jesus did on the cross, but it's also something that is personal between me and God, me and Jesus. And so it goes beyond just the ceremonial, you know, taking of the bread and taking of the wine. It's, you know, an interpersonal commu- uh, connection, um, so to speak, when I, when I do communion. It's, it's more than just the going through the motions. And, um, and that was another thing. It was like, the more you do it, I was trying to explain, you know, the more it's just a reminder, the more you have that personal connection, the more you have the ability to be, you know, reminded that this is what happened, you know, and, and, and I was taught one time by another, another pastor that, you know, instead of just looking at it as an outward thing, look as it as an inward thing. I mean, think about the relationship that God has with you, that Jesus has with you for what he did and that relationship. And a lot of times that relationship is something that here on earth isn't very tangible, you know, because we talk about the spirit world. But communion is one way that you can really have something tangible to remind you of that relationship and then to be a part of that relationship. You know, you've got your quiet time, you read the Bible, and maybe you've got the time where you're singing uh, along with you know your favorite hymns or your favorite you know worship songs, but then communion is another time that you can actually commune you know with God at that time, and so I've always kind of taken some of these things and you know reflected upon them and kind of you know put my thoughts on them and then go accordingly, and so I was kind of sharing this, and so that was another thing that was kind of interesting. Sometimes some of these. Um, things that we do in church like communion or like you know uh offerings passing the basket versus not passing the ba- uh, passing the basket uh you know cash versus credit um you know all these different things and the conversation kind of went there because things have changed now you know back in the the day when I was growing up you know you'd pass the they would the pastor would come down and you know make the the announcement that you know we need to give our tithes and offerings and it would be a big formal thing and then you know nowadays you know there's a basket in the back. If you feel so led, you might drop something in, or some people might have an automatic debit off their credit card or something that just automatically goes to the church, or maybe they have a direct deposit that partially goes to the church and the rest into your account. You know, there's different things. 
And so as we change in technology, as we change in time, some of those formalities change. And that was another part of the conversation. How does that really work into today's church when you're taught that you have to pass the basket and you have to put the money in the basket or in the box in the back? You know, there was a hard time understanding that what you do is it's it's again i guess it goes back to the fact that it's a hard time understanding that it's the it's the issue of the heart and how you think and what you're doing your intent versus the physicalness of giving if you give on your credit card which is another different story about financing but if you did that if you're giving in the right way like the old woman with the two mites in the bible versus the rich people giving you know haughtily then as long as you're giving in the right frame of mind with the right spirit then that's okay. It doesn't matter the manner in which you give. And there was some struggle there talking, having that conversation, because, again, it's bucking the tradition of the formalities of that business part of church. Yes, and, you know, you bring up two excellent topics that – you know, every church has to make decisions about, you know, the Lord's Supper is such an important meal of of remembrance that the Lord instituted. It, it is such an important focus on on just the cross and, and, and the fact that every time we gather as the people of God, um, we, we want to, we want to have our focus on, on, on what Christ did for us on the cross. And so what you see in the early church is that they celebrated the Lord's supper, at least weekly, uh, certainly on Sunday morning when they gathered, uh, it was a weekly, uh, celebration. And I think, um, what has happened is is that when some Christians have seen certain churches maybe do communion every week, and then maybe they get the sense that some people in those groups, it's like they do it to get a check in the box, almost as an overreaction to that misuse of communion, because, um, you know, let's say you have a church that's not proclaiming the gospel very well at all, if at all, to begin with, and then they're having communion. Um, well, you're not going to have the fullness of the spirit in your heart, obviously without the gospel, you're not going to be saved without the gospel. Um, and if, if you're, if you're getting a check in the box, other people might see that and say, well, I, I don't want that. So I think there've been a lot of Christian churches, um, you know, that have celebrated the communion anywhere from maybe every other week to once a month to once a quarter. Um, you know, so some churches might do it four times a year. Other churches do it every week. Um, I, I think what it, it comes down to, the way I've kind of described it is this. You have to decide as a church, um, w- you know, what elements are going to be on the first string. Um, what are we going to do every time we gather? For example, is, is the singing of songs, is that going to be a, a first string player on the team? Um, I, I think just about every church would say, well, definitely the message, you know, the sermon, the, the Bible-based teaching, that has to be, you know, you, you could call that the point guard, that has to take the point, you know, or you could call that the center on a basketball team, that has to be the center, I think. So e- either one of those analogies would be good, but, but most churches would say the message is definitely a first-string player every Sunday. And a lot of churches um, seem to put music and worship as a first-string player. And a lot of churches will put prayer on the first team. And then communion for many churches isn't on the first team, um, maybe the second team or the third team. 
And, and and I'm not I'm not being critical when I say that because you know everybody has to decide what elements they're going to choose. Um, but but I would say that uh, I, I know like in our church, you know we um, you know a number of years back I, I encouraged um, our congregation to think about having you know celebrating the Lord's Supper every Sunday. Because I was sensing just more spiritual power there in in the totality of the service, uh, you know, uh, you know, after the message, then to be able to celebrate the Lord's Supper, we have a very simple order of service, um, you know, a few songs, uh, a message, the Lord's Supper. I mean, not much else. Um, you know, you mentioned the offering. I mean, we've never collected and, and we never passed an offering plate. It's always been in the back there. Uh, and so people know where that's at if they want to, you know, if they're giving. Um, and of course, I mean, our, our regular attenders, you know, uh, I'm sure all participate in that. Um, but, but we don't, we, we don't, you know, we don't announce that. Um, you know, a big thing for a lot of people who've been turned off by the whole money thing in churches, they've been in churches where, where, you know, the, the person up in front is, is harping on money and, and giving and, and it just, it just overtakes, you know, the, the main message. And so um, you've had some people, a lot of times maybe weaker in faith, uh, not always, but in some cases, and they've been so turned off by that, the, the push for money, um, that I, I think there's some wisdom in, um, I mean, there, there are plenty of churches that, that do like what we do where you don't pass an offering plate. And, you know, the Lord manages to provide for you. Um, you know, uh, you, you, you know, we, we, we've seen that time and time again, as have many churches. But going back to communion, I, I, I think that it depends, you know, is it going to be a first string player or not? Um, and then what would be the point of doing it? Are you doing it to get a check in the box or are you doing it because you truly believe that, you know, you know, the Bible says as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So, um, you know, I, I think the fact that the early church did it set a good tone. They were so filled with the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts, obviously they didn't do everything right. Um, no, no Christians do everything right. No churches do everything right. But when I read the book of Acts and then I read Acts 2.42, um, sometimes I've called Acts 2.42 the big four. The big four, the apostles teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread and prayer. Those were the big four. And it says they devoted themselves to that. So I read that. And, and then and then all the other evidence that they did celebrate the Lord's Supper, um, you know, in their Sunday gatherings. I read that to say that those were the, those were all on the first team. Um, they did it every Sunday and not one of those things did they do to get a check in the box, but they did it to get to, to be able to worship the Lord in the fullest way possible with all the gifts he's given us, all the, the ways he's given us to celebrate Jesus. And, and, and I have to say, son, you know, you know, let's say you have a church that maybe celebrates the Lord's Supper quarterly. But maybe you, you know, it, 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 it's been turned into more of like, you know, the late night show with more of a comedian up in front and entertainment. Um, I, I mean, you know, we, we could spend a whole podcast just on, on, you know, um, what about having people up in front, you know, leading worship? I mean, there's enough of a potential with a speaker being up in front for him to, to get the focus. Um, uh, you don't want, um, we're, we're very blessed in, in our church that, that our, our worship leaders are just so, so humble. And, and, and the last thing they're trying to do is draw attention to themselves. But once in a while you'll go to a, a church and, and it just seems like it's, I hate to say it, but it kind of feels like a performance. And, and, um, 
And again, you have to be careful because you don't know what's in the hearts of, of those who are, who are doing that. Um, so, you know, um, we can't, we can't uh, judge people, but I do think we can protect people from situations whereby maybe they're showcasing their talents. I mean, if that ever becomes what uh, a sermon or a song is about, um, then the, the person who's doing that does not have the right approach at all. Um, because if you, as a as a preacher or as a worship leader, um, if you're up there to showcase your talents, rather than having you know a situation where you're called by the Lord, you're you 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 know you're you're trying to stay out of the way, you're trying not to be the focus. You're trying not to, you know, entertain people. You're trying to bless people. Uh, now, again, I'm not saying that there aren't some aspects that people maybe find entertaining in it at times. I mean, uh, whether it be maybe a joke that somebody somebody tells or uh, a certain way that you lead worship. But, but at the end of the day, a spirit-filled worship leader and a spirit-filled minister, the last thing they're trying to do is 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 somehow showcase some gift that God has given them. It's all about the Lord. And 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 sometimes that's done very expressly. Uh you know, certain worship leaders are very expressive. Um and and others are are, you know, uh maybe not as expressive but just as anointed. Um so, you know, these things all have wisdom and discernment. And we're there to lift up the Lord, to to bring him the glory, to put the focus on the gospel. And, uh, you know, I think we, we can learn, we can learn when, when things don't do that, or when things kind of go off the rails a little bit, how could we do that better? How could we keep that focus on, on Christ? Um, and the last thing I'll say with the Lord's Supper is, um, you know, the Bible doesn't say that, you know, you're committing a sin by celebrating the Lord's Supper, you know, too much or not enough. So, I mean, there's a lot of freedom there. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. But I just go back to, to, to my thinking, you know, I know for myself, um, I, I'm very comfortable having the Lord's Supper on the first string in our church, not only because the early church did that, but because... Um, it represents what Jesus did on the cross for us. And then we, we can never lose sight of that. You know, it's like the popular pastor who, um, you know, really started to discount the Old Testament here a year or so ago. And, you know, the tragedy with that is that you, you lose the you, you lose your your vision that the whole bible is pointing to christ the whole all of the 39 books of the old testament are pointing to jesus all of the 27 books of the new testament are pointing to jesus every worship service should be pointing to jesus and and if the lord's supper is done in a way and you teach people what it's about not just getting a check in the box my goodness i mean um that that's that's kind of a sick a sick thought really uh after what our lord went through on the cross that, that we would even need to be reminded of what it's about but but i do understand it's kind of like with the lord's prayer i mean anything that we do a lot of um it, it does take some focus for sure so that we don't just do it by rote that we don't just go through the motions and and so some might say well that's the danger of having it too often but but i guess um you know we 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 we, we sing every sunday we um 
you know, have a message every Sunday. I, I think it all depends on, there are a lot of ways you can set up the Lord's Supper. What I mean is, you know, some, some, some remarks going into it, um, a time for reflection, a time for prayer, some special music. I mean, I know we have, you know, uh, some real anointed music playing while, while people are, are uh, receiving, um, you know, the Lord's body and blood there in, uh, in the bread and the wine. Um, uh, you know, I know that, um, that there are ways to really, um, really focus on just the, 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 the spiritual meaning, uh, the spiritual meaning of that. You know, um, I, I think when we read John six, when we read John six and Jesus talked about eating his flesh and drinking his blood, um, having studied that, you know, for years, you know, I, I really, you know, came to believe that he's what the Lord is really talking about is a spiritual eating um, of the physical Christ. And we don't have time to go into that today, but a spiritual eating. Oh, this is my body. This is my blood. It's a very deep thing. I mean, in fact, you know, some people got so offended by it. They, they turned away from the Lord. This is a hard teaching. You know, who, you know, who, who can accept this? But but um, John six, there's a lengthy, lengthy um uh, explanation and and actually, son, actually John six is not even directly referring to um, the Lord's Supper. It is talking about belief in Christ. So, you know, the, the the thing that what led me to really study it is in my upbringing. You know, it, it seemed like you know the Lord's Supper was was having this focus where you know the Lord's body and blood are there. Um, okay, great. The Lord's real presence is there. Great. Um, but as I dug into scripture, I realized that same body and blood are, are, are there with us 24 seven, because Jesus said, unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. So what that means is the thief on the cross ate of his flesh and drank of his blood in, in whatever sense Jesus meant there. And I, and I think it's a spiritual eating of the physical Christ. If it, I know that's deep. I know that's hard to wrap our mind around. Um, but but um, I was led to dig deep into the scriptures based on what, what I heard being taught, you know, all my years of growing up about the Lord's real presence in the Lord's Supper, which I, I don't disagree with. But but what I came to see in scripture is that the Lord is equally present 24-7. He's not more present in the Lord's Supper than he is with you 24-7. But having said that, there is a special, um, there is a, a, a special celebration and encounter with the Lord at the Lord's Supper that obviously we don't have when we're not taking his, his, you know, taking the bread and the wine, taking, you know, receiving that. Now, now you, you, you don't swallow his blood or chew his body. Okay. Um, it's a spiritual eating and drinking. You, you know, uh, and even, you know, the church I grew up in, you know, certainly recognize that you, you don't chew the Lord's body and swallow his blood in the Lord's Supper. OK, it's a spiritual eating and drinking that, that's going on 24 seven. But what the bread and the wine do, uh, just like I would say similar son, to what happens when we anoint people for oil. I, I just did that for my wife here this morning uh, about uh 
oh five this morning as she's getting ready to go, to go to work um her shoulder uh, uh she has a herniated disc in her neck and um so i anointed her with oil this morning um and i do that all the time with people so so that's what that's the element the the element um uh the bread and the wine are are these elements in this sacrament of the lord's supper um and the lord's supper is for people who are already eating and drinking spiritually eating and drinking the flesh and blood of jesus and if a person says what do you mean by that i would just say read john 6 i can't say i fully understand it certainly only the lord fully you know he, he fully understands it and can explain it but but jesus made it very clear unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood you have no life in you so so we know that's not a physical swallowing or chewing we know that's not what's going on but there's something going on in our soul involving the lord's uh flesh and blood that that, that he taught about and 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 i think the lord's supper then is just a um just kind of an extension of that what's going on 24 7. it's a highlight of it and and it's a way that the lord then then the elements come into contact with our bodies obviously so what we do swallow and chew is is the bread what what we do drink is, is the wine or the grape juice okay um so those go into our body um and there's something very um very special that that goes on in that meal you know uh that, that's why the term sacrament uh, that, that's why it's held us in such a, a a holy way um but but the last thing a person should ever think is well you know the lord's supper is is you know i need to go there and and and, and get get forgiveness so i can go back out and sin some more hey you know what i would say son i would say if you're to a christian if you're a believer you are forgiven 24 7. you don't receive more forgiveness by going to the lord's supper because you're either completely forgiven of all of your sins before you go to the lord's supper or you have no forgiveness because forgiveness is not given out in parts you know it's not given out in parts um yes we need to confess our sins to the lord yes we need to ask for forgiveness when we've sinned um yes when we go to the lord's supper we think about what jesus did on the cross to forgive our sins but forgiveness is not given out in parts what the lord's supper does is it strengthens our assurance that we're already forgiven because if you're not forgiven of your sins before you go to the lord's supper then that's really not a meal that that is right for you yet because you need to be a believer um to go to the lord's supper and if you're not a believer then keep listening to the message and you're invited to accept the message but the lord's supper is for for believers um and and if you're a believer you are totally forgiven and and so a lot of a lot of theology i know i i threw in there uh, on that song as well but uh it's kind of hard not to when we're talking about something as you know as wonderful as, as the lord's supper and worship and 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 messages from god's word and all the rest yeah and the one thing to remember dan as we talk about this is that when you go to church or whatever your intentions are whatever you're doing it's your intentions you know if your intentions are true and honorable and right then god will honor that and he'll know that um, if you can only afford raggedy clothes and that's what you go to church in, you know, and, it, and your heart is right and your mind is right and your intentions are right, then God will honor that. If you are dressed to the hilt and you've got haughty intentions, God will know that. So it comes back to the heart. It goes back to what our intentions are. It goes back to, you know, what do we believe in. God sees it. God knows it. God's honor it. So as we, you know, do whatever it is we do, um, you know, as long as we're doing it with the right intentions, I don't think there's any type of problem with that. And I think that, especially in this day and age, I mean, I was reading something where I think the, a poll came out and said 31% of millennials think that right and wrong moves, like, you know, morality can kind of shift over 
the course of time. So what was moral at one point might, or what was immoral, I guess, at one point might be moral today, you know? And so those are the dangers that we kind of get in with the church as things can change. Like you mentioned with music, at one time it was all hymns, 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 hymns. Now we have worship bands and we have, you know, productions and light shows and smoke shows. And, you know, basically it's like a rock concert. And so, you know, on the surface of itself, that's not necessarily bad. But it goes back to the intentions. What's the intentions of that? Are we are we going to use those, you know, to attract people because that's what the younger people want? But is the intention still to focus on the worship, put God first, get people ready to hear the message? Or are we just getting more and more excited about the laser light show that we're going to put together and we just want a bigger crowd to witness our laser light show? So as things change... You know, we have to make sure that our intentions don't change, and we may have to. You know, we may, we may have to. Who knew that, you know, we, you and I could be sitting here having a podcast and use technology to try to spread the word of God when, you know, back in the day, you would either have to probably go to a radio station, get something on the radio somehow, or on television, and that was it. And now people can literally go to their phones on their hip or in their pocket, pull it out, hit a button, and listen to you and I or any number of people, you know, talk about the gospel, talk about Jesus, you know. And so technology has changed, and so we can utilize that. We can utilize the change in society uh, to attract, but we can't change our intention. We can't change our message. We can't change the gospel. We can't change the message that Jesus came and died on the cross to forgive us of our sins. We can't change the message that the only way to heaven is through Jesus, because that's what the Bible says. You know, we can't change the message of the Bible. We might be able to change venues. You know, people go to, um, you know, there's promise keepers and other things where you had big football arenas full of people. You had Billy Graham soccer arenas full of people. And so the venues might change, and, and but the message can't change because once we start changing the message, then that's when we start getting into, you know, the big problems that God will then take offense towards and be like, wait a minute, you're not, you're off base. You're not doing what it is that you're supposed to be doing because the message is wrong. So I think whenever anybody is out there concerned with something, if the message is on point, with what the Bible has to say, and it's not inconsistent with what the Bible has to say, it's going to be okay. If your intentions are to bring honor and glory to God, that's okay. If your intentions are to, I'm going to go to church because I want to, because I want to be there, because my desire is to be more Christ-like, because I want to commune with others, you know, if that's your intention, that's fine. The other stuff becomes secondary. And as long as it's uh, following what the Bible has to say and not distracting from others, um, you know, that's that's fine. That's the thing. the The simplest way to put it, I think, when it comes to kind of some of these changing uh, trends or changing things that go on in the church, is just if you're there to honor God and to follow Him and follow what the Bible says, then chances are you're going to be spot on and everything's going to be okay. Well, that, that's right, Son. And one quick point I'll, I'll add uh, to what I said before about the worship. You know, Jesus said that the true worshipers will worship in spirit and in truth. So if a person thinks about their makeup, three in one, body, soul, spirit, and that your spirit only comes alive when you are converted through faith in Christ alone, when you repent and believe the good news, you're justified, born again, redeemed, saved, and forgiven. Uh, now your spirit's alive. So now you're able to worship in spirit and in truth. Up until then, you 
You couldn't. But now you can worship. So what does that mean? Well, worshiping God from the depth of your being. And, and, and the point I just want to make here very quickly is that we have to remember, Son, that as these styles, they, they, they change. In Martin Luther's day, they, they changed. I mean, Martin Luther, you know, used, used uh, you know, uh, some styles of music that weren't um, traditional for his day, but, but it was about the words. It was about the message. And, and so my point is we have to remember that just because somebody might be using a different style, maybe they're very contemporary in their style. Maybe they're very traditional and, and just preferring the, the hymns with all the rich theology that those have. And, and I've known Christians, obviously, uh, on both sides of that. Some who are just, you know, deeply blessed by the contemporary songs and, and worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. And whether they, 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 they raise their hand, whether they go to church, whether they raise their hands or not, you can worship the Lord in spirit. Remember, it's, it's in spirit and in truth. So the key is what's going on inside. Um, now, lifting holy hands in prayer is a, a beautiful thing or in song as well. But, but we have to remember that somebody else's style may not be our own, but we, we have to be careful that we don't assume, well, they're not really worshiping the Lord as, as well as I am because, you know, style, you, you can't just assume that your style is, is what everybody is going to use to worship God in spirit and in truth. And, and, and then, like we said, uh, I do think sometimes with the contemporary worship too, we have to be careful that, um, that it, that it, 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 it is reverent. It is Christ centered. Um, that it, it's not, I, I mean, for example, I'll just throw in one thing. You know, I, I fail to see how these annoying, you know, loud guitar riffs that go on for who knows how long, you know, you, you'd expect that at a rock concert. But but I don't see any way in the world. I mean, you might be able to draw a crowd of, of kids to your to your service if you're going to give them a bunch of loud electric guitar riffs on a Sunday morning. But but um, to me, um, that that's not worshiping the Lord in spirit and in truth. That that's um, you know uh, that that's just something else. Uh, I, I think you can use you can definitely use contemporary worship to to worship God, but I, I think it needs to be done in a way. Um, I mean, let's just put it this way: um, there are not going to be loud electric guitar riffs in heaven that are just like ear piercing, and and they're not. You know, there are so many contemporary songs that, that employ the, you know guitar and drums and everything else, and they're so beautiful. But I'm just talking about those extreme things, or or let's just say super loud drums in a worship service. I mean. Um, you know, uh, I don't know. I, I mean, you know, if, if your worship service is like a, a, a secular or even a Christian rock concert where it's so loud, um, I, yeah, you might be able to attract some kids to it. You might be able to get them all worked up. But at least in my experience, son, and, and I've, I've, you know, watched this for, you know, 40 years, really, since, um, or, you know, at least 35, I mean, since, uh, you know, since college, um, in my experience, you know, the contemporary worship that is so spirit filled, it, it's not obnoxious. It, it's just the opposite of that. You know, it's never obnoxious. It, 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 it's not, you know, um, uh, you know, I, I, I don't, well, anyway, I'll leave, I'll leave it at that. But I, I just think we have to be, um, we have to be open to other styles of worship, but, but at the same time, um, just because something is making noise doesn't mean it's helping anybody to actually worship God. Dan Delzell, pastor at Redeemer Church in Papillion, Nebraska, also an author of many articles that can be found at the Christianpost.com. And so if you want to um, 
Read some of those articles. Just go to christianpost.com, search his name in the search bar, and the articles pop up. Dan, thanks so much. We appreciate your time. We appreciate you sharing with us your thoughts and uh, and sharing your experience, and we look forward to uh, many more conversations as uh, God allows us. Well, well, son, absolutely. And, and I'll tell you, I told you that last one was my last one, but I would be remiss if I didn't just share this to the team to me here. Um, the two musical groups, son, that the Lord used in my life in college to really get me turned on to Christian music. One was Keith Green, very mellow, very deep, rich spiritual music. The other was the Christian rock group Petra. Okay, so so I just don't want anybody to hear me saying that somehow if it's like a harder rock music that those people aren't glorifying God. My my only point was that I think in a worship setting, as compared as as, uh, compared to a you know a really heavy rock concert, um, but but the Lord used those. Some friends gave me the music, uh, Petra and Keith Green, and and it blew me away and it drew me closer to the Lord. You know, so I was able to draw closer to the Lord in my own personal life listening to that. Um, and so forth. So uh, I just wanted to throw that in. But yes, son, it's great to be with you again today, and uh, I sure look forward to next time. All right, Dan, thanks so much. We appreciate it, and uh, we'll talk to you next time. Sounds great, son. I look forward to it. And for those of you listening, thanks for listening, and do tell a friend. And until next time, God bless.